0: Our Gospel for this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Jesus and the disciples went on and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, where he was in the house, and he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As I was just saying uh, in the children's time, uh, I grew up playing a lot of sports and as a highly competitive person in both sports end school, and I'm still competitive today, and although she denies it, it's a trait that my wife Jenny and I both share. She denied it at the 830 service. Um, Today, that fierce sense of competition is mostly played out between us on the Scrabble board. Nerdy, I know. And is it really a competition if she always beats me? I don't know. But anyway, we play lots of cards and board games, especially when we're on vacation. And even after all of these years, we still want to beat each other badly. My father-in-law loves our competition and the frequent smack talk between us as we get late into games and we are jockeying for position. We each want to win, but short of that, we just want to finish ahead of the other person. This is a fun sideline to playing games together. It raises the stakes and makes them more fun and interesting. But as Jesus points out in our gospel, it becomes problematic when we apply that same approach to all of life itself, to relationships, to faith, to community, to society, treating life as a win-lose competition between individuals or peoples. So for me, to win, somebody must lose. And this is, in part, I think what Jesus is getting at this morning. This morning we find Jesus and the disciples on the road again on their way to a town called Capernaum. And while they have some time, while they are apart from the large crowds that had been following them, Jesus decides to do some teaching. And he tells them that the Son of Man, that's him, will be betrayed into human hands, the hands of his enemies, and they will kill him. But he says on the third day he will rise again. Mark says the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying, and they were too afraid to ask. But it also turns out that they were a little preoccupied. For while Jesus is trying to teach them this most important lesson, they're arguing amongst themselves about which one of them was the greatest. Was it going to be Peter for getting Jesus' question right about being the Messiah? Was it John who was called the beloved disciple? Was it James who was so close to Jesus that he was referred to as Jesus' brother? Was it Judas who was trusted enough to carry the money purse for them all? While Jesus is talking about laying down his own life, they are talking about who is the best disciple, who would be the greatest. They were competing with one another, jockeying for authority and status. They display what James describes as bitter envy and selfish ambition. And you can tell that they knew that they were wrong. For when they finally reach Capernaum and Jesus asked them, so what were you arguing about on the way? They don't even answer him. They just silently stare at the ground like my children do, kicking the dirt, embarrassed to be acting in such a way to be thinking of such things. Of course, Jesus already knew what they were thinking, and he responds by sitting them all down and telling them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all, and servant of all. He flips the script on their sense of competition and worth. Here status, position, authority are not gained and sustained by winning, but by giving oneself away to be the last and servant of all. And then he took a child and put it among them and taking the child into his arms, he says to them, "Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me, God." It echoes what Jesus said elsewhere that to enter the kingdom of God, the fullness of God's abundant life, we too must become like children. This all reminds me of a book that I read recently that's become one of my new favorites. It's called The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek, whose name you might recognize from his popular TED Talk and book about starting with why. Cynic is kind of a modern sage when it comes to living and working with clarity, meaning, and purpose. And Cynic says that there are two kinds of games. There are finite games, and there are infinite games. He says finite games are played by known players. They have fixed rules, like Scrabble. And there is an agreed upon objective that, when reached, ends the game. Football, for example is a finite game. The players all wear uniforms and are easily identifiable. There's a set of rules, and referees are there to enforce those rules. All the players have agreed to play by those rules, and they accept penalties when they break the rules. Everyone agrees that whichever team has scored the more points by the end of the set time period will be declared the winner. And the game will end, and everyone will go home. In finite games, There is always a beginning, middle, and end. Infinite games, by contrast, are played by known and unknown players. There are no exact agreed-upon rules. Though there may be conventions or laws that govern how the players conduct themselves, within those broad boundaries, the players operate however they want. And if they choose to break with convention, they can. And the manner in which each player chooses to play is entirely up to them and they can change how they play at any time, for any reason. Infinite games have infinite time horizons. And because there is no finish line, no practical end to the game, there is no such thing as winning an infinite game. In an infinite game, the primary objective is to keep playing, to perpetuate the game. He says, the more I look through the world through this lens of finite and infinite games, The more I started to see infinite games all around us, games with no finish lines and no winners. There is no such thing as coming in first in marriage or friendship, for example. Though school may be finite, there is no such thing as winning education. We can beat out other candidates for a job or promotion, but no one is ever crowned the winner of careers. Though nations may compete on a global scale with other nations for land, influence, or economic advantage, there is no such thing as winning global politics. No matter how successful we are in life, when we die, none of us will be declared the winner of life. And there is certainly no such thing as winning business. All these things, he says, are journeys, not events. He says, however... If we listen to the language of so many of our leaders today, it's as if they don't know the game in which they are playing. They talk constantly about winning. They obsess about beating their competition. They announce to the world that they are the best. They state that their vision is to be number one, except that in games without finish lines, all of these things are impossible. The problem, Cynic says, is when we confuse what game it is that we are playing, and most of the time we are applying a finite mindset to an infinite game. And when we do that, we get into trouble. If Jenny and I had approached our marriage like we play Scrabble, we never would have made it this far. Marriage and family is an infinite game. The goal is to keep playing. Businesses fail, cynic says when they see success only as the accumulation of finite wins, rather than taking the long view of continuing to play the infinite game. And while most of Cynic's examples are from businesses and organizations, one of the things that I love about this book is that I think of faith as an infinite game. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Faith as an infinite game. There is no winning faith. The point of faith is not to have said the most prayers or attended the most services, converted the most souls, or memorized the most Bible verses when the game ends. The whole point of faith is to simply keep playing, to extend the game, as people of faith have done for thousands of years, passing on faith as we celebrate today with Rally Day to future generations. There is no end point no point at which we say, that's it, we won, game over, we've got it. Faith is an infinite game, and the point is to keep playing. Jesus says that we do this not by arguing about who is the best, but by serving others. And the point of being church is not to win anything, not to crush the competition, not to be the best, whatever that means. The point of church is to share God's love, and to be the vehicle which helps us to play the infinite game of faith, to keep playing, to hand it on generation to generation, which we have been doing in this place for 268 years. The church has evolved and changed in countless ways over the centuries since the earliest days of the book of Acts to ensure that future generations can hear the gospel. It is when the church stops changing that it begins to stop playing the infinite game and loses the thread. Faith always takes the long view. For as it says in Hebrews, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When I think back to my growing up playing sports, despite my competitive nature, I think the point of playing for me was always just to play, which is, play in its most joyful and pure form. I remember begging my mom to let us play just 10 more minutes, just a little longer, or to go back outside after dinner and play in the alley during those long summer days. I remember saying on the basketball court, let's play to 20 instead of 10. I remember just wanting five more minutes on the playground. I just wanted to keep it going, to keep playing at the game, to include more people and players and to share in the joy of it. This is one of the ways that we see faith reflected in our children. They want to play for the sake of playing, with joy and verve and curiosity and wonder, without the need to declare a winner. Like kids, little kids, like my two and a half year old nephew, Benji, will just play the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again, just to play for the joy of it. It turns out that kids often know what game they are playing better than we do. The disciples didn't know what game they were playing, and that's why they got into trouble in today's gospel. It's the same reason why James gives his audience such a stern talking to. I also think James was just a little bit grumpy by nature. But James tells them, for where there is envy and selfish ambition... There will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. He says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. The disciples in James's audience, they were turning the infinite game of faith into a finite game with winners and losers, thinking about who would be the greatest, who was right, and who wins. Instead, Jesus says that the last shall be first, that the so-called winners are the ones who serve and lay down their lives for others. On this rally day, at the outset of a new program year, we are reminded that faith is an infinite game, and we are inspired by our children and youth who often know the game they are playing better than we do. May we be good stewards of the faith, the story, the church, the mission, and the hope with which we have been entrusted so that future generations may know and share the love of God and serve the world in Jesus' name. Amen.